today is the day that we truly embark on a comprehensive agenda of economic, social, and racial justice in the United States of America. That sounds like a good day to me. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountain, KKRN, and in Eureka on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, they're going to get a lot of snow up there, I'm hearing, in Goldendale, Washington on KVGD, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us once again here today for the world-famous Bradcast. Well, the concept of a uh, a Green New Deal, echoing FDR's original New Deal program, but meant to combat our climate crisis while creating millions of new, good-paying American jobs, that's been somewhat of a vague notion, supported by progressives for some time, even though it has neither been specifically defined nor drafted into law. But on Thursday... At a widely attended unveiling event in Congress, freshman New York Democrat Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and veteran Massachusetts Democratic Senator Ed Markey announced their proposal, a still non-binding resolution for a Green New Deal. This will be the moment that we will be able to say that the political tide has turned on the rising seas. We are reclaiming our leadership on the most important issue facing humankind. This is the new climate democracy of the people, by the people, for the planet. I like that. For the planet. That was Ed Markey. We'll share some of uh, AOC in a little bit, both unveiling their Green New Deal, which has already has a whole bunch of co-sponsors and supporters, including a bunch of Democrats now running for president in 2020. Of course, before it was unveiled, the right-wingers over at Fox News were freaking out. Just before airtime, Desi Doyen, I received an email from the uh, right-wing extremist Koch Brothers-funded Freedom Works kooks. Oh, boy. Uh, they are apparently no fan of this uh, of this uh, measure. Gosh, they, I can't imagine why. Yes, they claim that it will eliminate 99% of cars. <laughs> it will... <laughs> 
<laughs> it will eliminate air travel. <laughs> it will replace it with failed government-run high-speed rail, and they put high-speed in quotes. It will require every building in America to be torn down or upgraded, <laughs> and it will funnel your hard-earned money, they say, to those who are unwilling to work. Wow, that's some that's some scaremongering there. They must be really frightened. Of They're this. on message, baby. Uh, we will speak with climate and energy reporter David Roberts from Vox.com for some actual facts about this proposal to get his take on both the policy and the politics. But first, speaking of the new Democratic majority in the U.S. House, boy, howdy, are things already uh, changing for the better in the House with a bunch of important oversight hearings now finally happening. So I hope to be able to share more of those with you in the days ahead now that something meaningful is actually beginning to happen in the House again. I think we had our first climate hearings recently. Oh, yes, like this 10 week. Years. Yep. In the U.S. House Judiciary Committee today, it was a rather extraordinary uh, spectacle as acting U.S. Attorney General Matt Whitaker was invited to testify for the first time about what he did or didn't speak about to the president regarding Robert Mueller's special counsel investigation before and after being appointed to the job, since he had been a big critic of the uh, of the probe on cable TV before Trump named him as acting U.S. Attorney General the top law enforcement official in the country, and uh, to answer questions about whether he has interfered in any way in that probe now that he's officially overseeing it. Uh, New House Judiciary Committee Chair Gerald Nadler, Democrat of New York, even gave his questions to Whitaker in advance. So he'd have the opportunity, if he wanted, to check with the White House to see if they wanted to invoke executive privilege regarding any of these questions. Apparently they did not. And boy, this was something. Nadler pressed Whitaker on his uh, supervision of the probe. And Whitaker at one point stunned everyone in the room, uh, lawmakers and and, uh, audience alike, when he tried to call time on the Democratic chairman. Here's the first round of questioning in full out of the gate between Nadler and a rather obnoxious acting U.S. Attorney General, Matt Whitaker. Begin by recognizing myself for five minutes. Now, we fully intend to examine substantive questions of the department policy, but part of our job is to make sure that core investigations at the department have not been compromised. So, at a press conference last week, sir, you said that you have been fully briefed on the special counsel's investigation. I would like to better understand that comment. Yes or no? Since your appointment as acting attorney general, have you been briefed on criminal or counterintelligence matters within the special counsel's purview? Chairman, thank you for that question. Uh, As you know, I cannot talk about ongoing investigations. You can say whether you've been briefed or not. And as you commented about my recent press conference, uh, as it relates to the special conference, the special counsel's investigation, I have been briefed on it. So the answer is yes, thank you. Were you briefed on those matters at any point while you were serving as Chief of Staff to Attorney General Sessions? Uh, Chairman, I know you're very interested in the Special Counsel's investigation, and so I want to be very clear about this. Because General Sessions was recused from the Special Counsel's investigation, I was had no involvement in the Special Counsel's investigation. So the answer is no. So the answer is no. Thank you. How many times were you briefed about the Special Counsel's work, and when did the briefings take place? 
Mr. Chairman, I've said all that I'm planning on saying about the number of times or the briefings that I've received on <laughs> special counsel's investigation. It is the subject matter of an ongoing investigation. I think it would be very improper for me, as I sit here today, to talk the, the, more about Whether it. you were briefed is the subject of an ongoing investigation? I didn't follow that. No, the number of times I've been briefed in my involvement in the investigation, sir. Well, it's our understanding that at least one briefing occurred in December before your decision not to recuse yourself on December 19th and Christmas Day. Is that correct? Uh, what's the basis for that question, sir? Yes or no? Is it well, correct? I, I, I mean, I, I... It is our understanding that one, at least one briefing occurred between, between your decision not to recuse yourself on December 19th and six days later, Christmas Day. Is that correct? Simple enough question. Yes or no? Uh, Mr. Chairman, I, I, again, what is the basis for your question? You're saying that it is your... Sure, I'm, I'm asking the questions. I only have five minutes. So please answer yes or no. No, Mr. Chairman, I, I'm going to... I, I, I don't, I, I, you were asking me a question. It is your understanding. Can you tell me where you get the basis? No, I'm not going to tell you that. I don't have time to get into that. I'm just asking you if, if that's correct or not. Is it correct? Were you briefed uh, but, uh, in that time period between December 19th and Christmas Day? Simple question, yes or no? Congressman, if, if, if every member here today um, asks questions based on their mere speculation, all right, uh, never mind. I, at any point, yes or no, yes or no, at any point since that briefing, have you communicated any information you learned in that briefing to President Trump? Mr. Chairman, I, I know that there is a uh, unique yes or no and special question, interest sir. in this. I'm it's sorry. A yes or no question. Have you communicated anything uh, you learned in that briefing to pre about the investigation to President Trump? Yes or no? Mr. Chairman, as I've said earlier today in my opening remarks, I do not intend today to talk about my private conversations with the President of the United States. But to answer your okay. question, I have not any, talked to the President of the United States about the special counsel's investigation. So the answer is no. Thank you. To any other White House official? Again, Mr. Chairman, as I mentioned in my opening statement, I do not intend today to talk about my private conversations with the President nor White House officials. But I will tell you, consistent with what I've already said, I have not talked about the special counsel's investigation with senior White House officials. Okay. Uh to any third party not already briefed about the special counsel's investigation who might have conveyed that information to the president or his legal team? Who do you consider third party individuals? Well, it's really for your consideration. To any third party not already briefed about that investigation who might have conveyed, who you think might have conveyed that information to President Trump or his legal team? Who I th third persons who I think may have conveyed yes. that information? Yes. Um, you know, as I sit here in this chair right now, Mr. Chairman, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I, that's an impossible question for me to ask. I mean, I do not believe uh, that I have briefed third party individuals outside of the Department of Justice. I have received the briefings uh, myself, and I am usually the end point of that information. Usually. But you won't answer the question. I, I just did answer your question. I don't think you did, but let me just say this. Your iteration of the department's longstanding policy appears designed to delay answering these questions as long as possible. I find that unacceptable. I understand the role of executive privilege and respect its value in our system of governments, governance. 
However, Congress is a co-equal branch of government. We have a responsibility to conduct oversight. This is a responsibility we take very seriously. I've repeatedly tried to work with your office, first in delaying the hearing until February, and then in providing you our questions in advance. I did this because the executive branch's own rules governing assertion of privilege, which were issued by President Reagan and have been followed ever since, say that ultimately it is up to the president to decide whether or not he wants to assert executive privilege. You cannot repeat forever that the president might want to assert privilege. I've given you a fair opportunity to prepare for the hearing and to, and to speak with the White House in advance so that we could avoid this fight in the first place, but you don't appear to have done any of that. The department's failure to do its due diligence here, to me, is deeply troubling. I do not believe that issuing a subpoena here would correct the problem, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to rectify the situation. After today's hearing, we will attempt to reach an accommodation with the department to obtain answers to these questions. As part of that process, I ask for your commitment to return for a deposition before this committee in the, following, in the coming weeks, under oath, with an understanding that the transcript will be released to the public as soon as practicable thereafter. Any questions that are unanswered today or require consultation with the White House will be asked again at that proceeding, and I expect either a clean answer or a proper assertion of privilege claimed by the President. I would ask members on both sides of the aisle to make those questions clear for the record so we know what must be addressed at the future proceeding. Now, in your capacity as Acting Attorney General, have you ever been asked to approve any request or action to be taken by the Special Counsel? Mr. Chairman, uh, I see that your five minutes is up, and so um, <laughs> I'm... We, 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 I am here, I'm here voluntarily. I, we have agreed to five-minute rounds. And the committee... I think that's a fine place to end the five-minute rule. The, the committee will end... Will, 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 will come to order. I will point out that we didn't enforce the five-minute rule on... On, on, on attorney, uh, Acting Attorney General Whitaker, we will... I understand, Mr. Chairman, I was just saying, that might be a good breaking point at that uh, point for you. No, the, the Attorney General was in the middle of saying something. Answer the question, please. Regular order. Should I ask the question? Okay. Yeah, in your capacity as Acting... Please let, let me just repeat the question so, so people remember what we're talking about. In your capacity as Acting Attorney General, have you ever been asked to approve any request or action to be taken by the Special Counsel? Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, I, as the Acting Attorney General, I am under the Special Counsel's rules. I am the person that is ultimately in charge of the investigation, um, and I have exercised that authority under the Special Counsel's regulations of the Department of Justice. So I assume the answer is Re yes. Regular order, Mr. Chairman. I assume the answer is yes. You have been asked no, to I approve a request or action, and you've said yes or no? In other words, I want to, Mr. Chairman, I want to be very clear about what you're asking me. Are you asking me if I have asked the special counsel to do something? Regular order, Mr. Chairman. Uh, is this whole thing? Well, I'm asking if, if uh, I think my words were clear enough. Have you ever been asked to approve any request or action to be taken uh, by the uh, special counsel? Um, last week, um, you commented on the status of the investigation staying, stating it was close to being completed, unquote. This was said despite the fact you recognized just moments before that it was ongoing, stating, quote, I really am not going to talk about an open and ongoing investigation otherwise, close quote. So all I'm asking you is, have you been asked 
to approve or disapprove a request or action to be taken by the special counsel. Point of order, Mr. Chairman. I've asked the question. Point of order, Mr. Chairman. Point of order is not in order until the question is answered. We're not operating under the five-minute rule anymore, then? Point of order. The witness will answer the question. I want to be very specific about this, Mr. Chairman, because I think it's going to ally a lot of fears uh, that have existed um, among this committee, among the uh, legislative branch largely, and, and maybe among some American people. Uh, we have followed the special counsel's regulations to a T. There has been no event, no decision that has required me to take any action, and I have not interfered in any way with the special counsel's investigation. Very good. Thank you. My time has expired. Uh, evasive much there? Oh, wow. That's like pulling teeth, trying uh, to get an answer out of him. Any kind of straight answer. Well, he allied a lot of fears, <laughs> I guess, with that. Uh, that was the nation's top law enforcement official, acting AG Matt Whitaker, uh, with House Judiciary Chairman Gerald Nadler today in Washington, D.C. All right. Just some of the fun going on in Congress right now under the new Democratic majority. We've got more ahead, beginning with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ed Markey's new Green New Deal proposal introduced yesterday. David Roberts of Vox.com joins us next to break down the policy and the politics there. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Just a quick thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves. You're the only thing that keeps us on those public airwaves. We don't rely on uh, corporate support or political support. We rely on you, and your support is needed now more than ever. At bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. Today is the day that we truly embark on a comprehensive agenda of economic, social, and racial justice in the United States of America. That's what this agenda is all about. Because climate change and our environmental challenges are one of the biggest existential threats to our way of life. Not just as a nation, but as a world. This is our first step. Our first step is to define the problem and define the scope of the solution. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That was progressive freshman Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York. On Thursday, as Democrats launched a sweeping plan to transform the U.S. economy to combat climate change and create thousands of jobs in renewable energy, signaling its likely elevation as a central campaign issue in 2020, despite President Donald Trump's failure to mention climate change even once in his recent State of the Union address. Democrats, including Ocasio-Cortez and veteran U.S. Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts, introduced a resolution laying out a Green New Deal on Thursday in Congress. At least six senators running for president or considering White House bids backed the plan already. A non-binding resolution that calls for a 10-year national mobilization on the scale of the original New Deal. 
to shift the economy away from fossil fuels like oil and coal and replace them with renewable energy sources like wind and solar power. It sets a goal to meet 100% of the power demand in the U.S. through clean, renewable, and zero-emission energy sources, including, or at least not excluding for now, nuclear power. Markey said at a Capitol News conference that our energy future will not be found in the dark of a mine, but in the light of the sun. The plan goes far beyond energy to urge national health care coverage and job guarantees for uh, reasons I hope to discuss with my guest momentarily, as well as high quality education and affordable housing. The resolution urges the elimination of fossil fuels uh, pollution and greenhouse gas emissions. Quote, as much as technologically feasible in a range of economic sectors and calls for upgrading all existing buildings in the U.S. to be energy efficient. Markey said this is now a voting issue across the country. The green generation has risen up and they are saying they want this issue solved as one of the top two or three issues in the 2020 election. A coalition of labor, economic justice, racial justice, indigenous and environmental organizations immediately announced their support for the plan. While setting lofty goals, the plan does not explicitly call for eliminating the use of fossil fuels such as oil and natural gas. Even so, the Green New Deal is more ambitious than the clean power plan proposed by former President Barack Obama and subsequently scrapped by Donald Trump. To, to impose emissions limits on coal-fired power plants. Ocasio-Cortez said the plan's scope was its strength, saying, quote, small incremental policy solutions are not enough to repel climate change, which she called an existential threat to the planet. Correctly so. The measure is supported at, uh, by at least six different senators with their eyes on the White House. Uh, introduced on Thursday, it marks the first legislative language attached to a Green New Deal, a concept that until now has been pretty loosely defined as a call for action to head off climate change and to create jobs. Answering critics who call the plan unrealistic, Ocasio-Cortez said that when President John F. Kennedy wanted to go to the moon by the end of the 1960s, people said it was impossible. And by the way, if you haven't heard, in fact, after that call in the 1960s, we did end up getting a man to the moon and back safely in less than 10 years. As called for before any any man had even orbited in space around planet Earth. Ocasio-Cortez also compared the plan to FDR's New Deal and LBJ's Great Society. The preamble to the resolution helpfully reminds us that, quote, the federal government led mobilizations during World War II and the New Deal era created the greatest middle class that the U.S. has ever seen. And it frames the Green New Deal as an historic opportunity to create millions of good, high wage jobs in the U.S., while focusing on renewable energy, Ocasio-Cortez said the plan would also include existing nuclear power plants, but block new such nuclear power plants. Nuclear power does not emit greenhouse gases, which contribute to global warming, but they are at the center of a vigorous debate among climate hawks that rarely sees mainstream media coverage, frankly. 
Asked how the plan would be paid for, Ocasio-Cortez said it would be, quote, the same way we paid for the original New Deal, for World War II, for the bank bailouts, for tax cuts for the rich, and decades of war. That would be with public money appropriated by Congress. She called the plan an investment that would produce more than it costs in new infrastructure, jobs, and avoided health care costs. Describing the proposal... As finally revealed on Thursday, climate and energy writer David Roberts over at Vox.com notes that the Green New Deal has become an incredibly hot item on the political agenda, but to date it has remained ill-defined. It's a broad enough concept that everyone can read their aspirations into it, he writes, which has been part of its strength. But it has also left discussion in something of a fog, since no one's quite sure what they're actually arguing about. Well, now we have something to finally argue about. Maybe. There are still many vagaries in the proposed resolution, but Roberts suggests that may be one of its strengths for the time being, and it certainly hasn't prevented Fox News from arguing about it already, which is pretty clear from their headline in covering the introduction of the uh, proposal of this legislation. An article which they filed in their socialism category under the headline Green New Deal. Ocasio-Cortez aims to make air travel obsolete and aid those unwilling to work. Joining us now to finally help decipher both the policy and the politics presented here by the first draft of a long-awaited Green New Deal is the great David Roberts of Vox.com. Welcome back, comrade. And I use that word to help freak out the folks at Fox, uh, not that they need any help. Duh. <laughs> well done. Uh, let's see here. Well, I, you know, I, I suspect the the bulk of what is uh, likely to be a long and, and uh, loud debate over this uh, Green New Deal proposal will not be hashed out via, you know, smart and detailed 3,500 word explanations like the one that you offered to us at Fox.com. I know it is too bad. And I say that as a compliment and also to give you hell, but uh, rather in, uh, you know, cable TV and talk radio soundbites. So how do you describe quickly the general concept of Green New Deal and what is actually in this proposal now that we have one? or at least the general outlines for one, uh, to effectuate it now? Uh, I would describe it as a program to eliminate greenhouse gases from the U.S. Uh, economy through vigorous public investment and job creation. Well, that is a, a nice and tight way you to put for it. Short. I, and I appreciate it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the the preamble you note establishes that there are uh, two crisis crises I guess that uh, this program is meant to deal with the climate crisis and an economic crisis of wage stagnation and growing inequality and that the uh, green new deal addresses both both of those crises are dealt with at the same time here and I suspect that's what's going to be left out uh, from the disingenuous uh, critics of this. Why are these two things linked together? Is that out of uh, convenience or because uh, you feel and the authors feel those two ideas uh, work hand in hand? Yeah, I think this really is the key the key to the whole thing here um, and the key difference between this and sort of climate plans and climate proposals previous to it. Mm -hmm. sort of the democratic strategy up to now has been to let's 
isolate greenhouse gases and the climate problem from all these other problems in the hopes that if we just strip it so that we're only dealing with carbon, mm-hmm. we can get some bipartisan support, right? And if we start messing with income redistribution or justice concerns or all these other progressive concerns, we'll lose that bipartisan cooperation. So we just need to like focus like a laser on carbon. That was the strategy up until really uh, uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. But but um, the sort of resurgent left sort of democratic socialist movement that AOC is representing is is fundamentally questioning that. Basically, they're saying that the climate crisis is part and parcel of basically a, a system of uh, late capitalism that's not working. Mm. <laughs> like it's it's heating the planet and it's creating this massive inequality and it has wages stagnating Mm -hmm. and you you know we have uh child mortality and like on the rise and 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 lifespan on the decline and it's just really they see two things happening they see one this wasteful (laughs) our waste heating the atmosphere and two uh you know people on american streets living you know paycheck to paycheck in this intense stress and insecurity, even as like a handful of billionaires have most of the world's wealth. And to them, that's like, to them, the whole point of the New Deal was not just to sort of, you know, build things, mm-hmm. although the things were <laughs> valuable and important, and mm-hmm. not just to do things, but to, to put people to work mm-hmm. and get and give the middle class a stake in solving the problem. And that so 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 there, there's sort of two aspects here. One is they're sort of substantively um, bound up together. But another thing is, if you can solve the greatest challenge that's ever faced the species with a program mm-hmm. that creates prosperity and creates jobs and puts people to work and and sort of uh, uh, gets the U.S. back toward good-paying jobs and union-protected jobs and does the same sort of, like, middle-class creation that the original New Deal does, why wouldn't you do those together? Like, what? <laughs> why wouldn't you Why wouldn't you do it all at once? Yeah, it, yeah it's really interesting because uh, you, and you put that right at the top of your article, um, noting that in the past that Democrats have put the, tend to put the focus on technologies and markets specifically, uh, and as you extend that out to the uh, to the original New Deal, yeah, the idea was not to uh, have flood control on the Colorado River or uh, get electricity from the Hoover Dam, but it was part and parcel of a jobs program that ended up giving us these things that we have enjoyed and are happy to have now uh, for generations. But does that make this proposal any easier or or harder to uh, to actually well, pass, David? That's the that's the six million dollar question, isn't it? I mean, the question here is that would be the six trillion dollar question, as Fox News might yeah. describe it. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of goofy numbers yeah. uh, flying around. Yeah. I mean, the real answer is that no one has any idea how much this would cost, right. or any idea how much growth it would produce, and it's totally like. The idea that oh, it's exactly six trillion through twenty seventy two is right. a bunch of bunch of faux faux <laughs> precision. Um, but anyway, I mean, the politics of this are the central question. Like, you know, I think if you'd asked Dems up until really recently, they would have said yes. You have to have some bipartisan support. You have. There's no other way to get stuff 
pass, mm-hmm. but to try to get bipartisan support, persuade some of our colleagues. But I feel like with Trump, you know, like, as as many people have said before, Trump is not some brand new thing. He's just sort of the culmination of, of the direction of the conservative movement for mm-hmm. decades now. He's kind of like stripped away all remaining pretense mm-hmm. and made it very clear what's going on. And what what it made very clear is there just is no bipartisan cooperation to be had. It's yeah. not coming. It's getting farther away. The more we try, the farther it gets away. And like mm-hmm. environmentalists have been begging begging, watering down policies, watering down their rhetoric, tiptoeing around, you know, echoing this BS, echoing this sort of fiscal responsibility BS that they that they hear on the Washington Post editorial page, just trying so hard to lure a few conservatives over, and it just isn't happening. So the other, you know, so the other take is stop watering down your policies, stop watering down your rhetoric, be upfront and clear about the scale and severity of the problem and the scale of the solutions and offer a solution that engages people and that people can play a role in, get a job from, make money from, like be excited about, mm-hmm. uh, uh, then you make it, then you give it political momentum. And so instead of persuading Republicans to come along, you frighten them <laughs> into coming along. You show that this is a giant political snowball that's rolling downhill, gathering, you know, gathering weight, gathering momentum. And if you get in the way and push the other way, you'll get crushed. That's how you persuade politicians. Uh, yeah, not through the sweet, not through the sweet light of reason. It's it's fear, <laughs> and that's what Dems are going for now. Like we're going to make. A, a, a broad, vigorous movement behind this that is strong enough that you will be scared to bucket. Yeah, it it kind of seems like instead of trying to appeal to these so-called uh, conservative Republicans and try to convince them, this seems like it's meant to appeal to the voters and let the voters right. send the, send the, the novel, message. Right? Yeah. And as I read it, in fact, as I actually read the proposed resolution here, which I suspect the folks on Fox News did not do, in truth, if you read this thing, it all seems quite sensible and almost anodyne in in many places. In truth, uh, you know, despite the hooting and the hollering from Fox, if they actually read this thing, and maybe this is what they fear, if their viewers actually read this thing, I suspect a lot of them would walk away saying, yeah, that all sounds pretty good, makes pretty good well, sense no, to me. We, I mean, we, we don't have to speculate. There are polls. There's been a, a bunch of polling out, mm-hmm. and, this, and, and a Green New Deal, if you just present it to people as uh, a vigorous program of investment in clean energy technology and jobs that will create, you know, new jobs mm-hmm. and a new middle class, it pulls through the roof across, across demographics large majorities of Republicans, I think it's somewhere in the 60s, like mid-60s, approve of this thing. Like, obviously that won't hold when the right-wing media machine gets, you know, puts itself in earnest to bashing this. But the point is, like, big government investments that create jobs are almost universally popular. Like, it's just a a popular and intuitively popular Mm -hmm. idea, which is why, you know, which is why they which is why they're stressing it and why you see such frantic already on the right, such frantic attempts to change the subject, 
you know, to stuff they're more familiar with, which is it'll raise your power costs, it'll raise prices, it'll slow the economy, it'll kill jobs, you know, just the same, the same old right. story. No. And that worked against something like cap and trade because <laughs> to the public, what was the benefit of cap and trade? They didn't friggin' know. Like, right. it was also abstract, so there was no story other than the negative story. But here, like, we have a historical example. We have a growing movement. We got politicians on board. We got the technologies that are in place, like already growing where people can see them. We have the jobs, like the solar, solar panel installer is the fastest growing job in, I think, eight states mm-hmm. now. And in four states, it's wind, it's wind turbines. So like, this is no, this is not some sort of theoretical economic economist abstraction like cap and trade was this is this makes intuitive sense to people the minute they hear it described and that gives it power you describe uh some of the goals uh here as achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions creating jobs providing for a just transition securing clean air and water that those are all broadly popular and that the projects that are detailed well, I want to say outlined because they're not really detailed, but sort of outlined yeah. here. Uh, <laughs> not like, much detail. Right. Uh, decarbonizing electricity, transportation, industry, restoring ecosystems, uh, upgrading buildings and electricity grids. These are all uh, sensible, not necessarily uh, wildly controversial in a general sense. And this resolution is fairly general. Uh, and that's why I say if you read it now, I think there's little to disagree with, but uh, in order to effectuate this, there, you're going to have to put in actual plans, actual things in place, and of course, that's when the yeah. right-wing heads are going to explode. But for now, the plan avoids some of the more difficult issues uh, for both the right and the left. Why did they choose to avoid uh, some of those issues, um, and and was it smart to do so? Well, I... I'm not in their heads, so I don't, mm-hmm. don't totally know why they went the way they did. Like they made, there are some peculiar choices. Like, as you say, the the green goals, the green focused stuff early in the document is relatively straightforward for any climate a hog. You know, like, I mean, you say like decarbonizing electricity and transportation is sensible. I mean, it totally is sensible, but it's also, let's not underplay, a really, really, really big and ambitious thing. Like, no one is super clear how to accomplish it, and like, you know, that's the point of the mobilization, the point of the sort of moonshot metaphor that AOC is always using. We don't really know how to do this stuff, so it's like sensible as a reaction to climate change, but at the same time, very ambitious. but, But the green stuff doesn't stray too far from pre- mainstream, you know, from what all the mainstream reports Mm -hmm. say. And I think the reason they didn't want to to sort of uh, take a side in a lot of these contentious debates that divide climate hawks from other climate hawks Mm -hmm. is, is I think the thinking was just we want the broadest, we want the broadest coalition behind the Green New Deal as possible. And, And so things like what is the exact role of new nuclear power going forward? Let's have that be an argument within our coalition, right? Rather than making one answer or the other a sort of condition of entry. Mm-hmm. And I think they, they went they went that direction with several kind of contentious issues. Like we can, the same with like carbon pricing. They didn't take a position mm-hmm. one way or the other. They just said, 
let's all agree we need to accomplish these broad goals, and then within that coalition, we can hash out the role of, of climate pricing. Yeah. So I think it's just, it's all to create the biggest coalition. But then, if you go down farther in the document, <laughs> past the green stuff, uh-huh. you get down to the bottom where you find things like OPS, we're also going to give every American uh, uh, guaranteed health care and housing and dignity and a minimum income and, and, and guarantee the right to organize and union protections and also workplace standards. And also we're going to guarantee everyone a job. It's just like, it's almost like, almost like as a PS down at the bottom, you get like an entire wildly yeah. ambitious democratic socialist agenda kind of tucked in at the bottom there. And yeah. I, I don't totally know why they did that. Well, that's I what I was going to really ask you. Totally they, they note uh, guaranteeing a job with a family sustaining wage, adequate family and disability leave, paid vacations, retirement security, uh, all things that, by the way, I, I support. I suspect you may as well. Yeah, but yeah totally. But why are they? Why are they included? Why is that a part of uh, what uh, some see as environmental justice? I think is is probably a better way to put it. Because you note also that right at the top uh, of this document, they talk about uh, frontline communities. Um, you know uh, that have yeah. uh, that are dealing both with the. Um, the, the downside, the costs of, uh, of climate change as they're getting hit by, uh, you know, climate catastrophes uh, more than, you know, sooner than, than the rest of us in many cases. And that this ar- proposal, as I read it, is arguing that those frontline and vulnerable communities, as they're described, should be at the front of solving this crisis as well, that they should be the ones to uh, to, to get these new, good, green jobs, etc. Does that explain yeah, why yeah. you tie all of this together? That's, well, I think you can get all of that without <laughs> without all, 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 the, all the wild sort of guarantees and promises at the end. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that explains it. Like, I mean, it's, it's a weird... It's a weird dichotomy in the resolution in that in the green section, it actually is quite careful and I think pretty restrained in such a way as to not needlessly alienate people, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like not settling these fights, just Mm -hmm. getting the broadest coalition possible. And then you get to the bottom and you get to this, this sort of democratic socialist stuff that seems to me, at least intuitively, much more likely to... To, to divide people and like much more likely to create needless fights that distract from climate change. So I don't really know. Like the sort of the sort of standard I think center left take is this is just socialists off in their dream world and it shows that the whole thing is a dream world, right? And then it's, and then you know like Eric Levitz had a good piece in New York Magazine today where he was saying what they're trying to do is. You know, the uh, climate change has always been kind of an extra on the Democratic agenda, kind of a PS, not just Democratic politicians, but Democratic voters. Like, you know, sort of notoriously, even the people who believe it's happening and think it's a problem don't prioritize it particularly highly or center it in their sort of vision of what a progressive society is. It's sort of this other thing, this environmental thing. And I think, you know, what Levitt says that, that these 
that this crowd is trying to do is sort of show that the green the green sustainability mm-hmm. is at the root of all of it, and all of it has to be built around sustainability so that even these other lefty goals that you lefties have, those are also part of sustainability, like trying to weave climate into the heart of the left agenda. And, and, and so I don't know, like, what are the political effects of that will be? Will that alienate people or will, like, I sort of suspect, like, Markey, you know, like, Ed Markey is not a, a wild-eyed yeah. socialist. Like, no. like, I would be surprised if you asked Ed Markey point blank, like, should we guarantee a universal right to food and, 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 and housing right. and health care in the U.S.? Like, I don't know that he would say yes. So, but, but he signed his name to this, and so have a bunch of other people who I think probably also wouldn't endorse those things separately, which leads me to believe that they're sort of like being viewed as um, just like a list of nice things, you know, like a list of nice things that Democratic Socialists well, like, but not to, not to be taken don't take them literally. too serious. They're way down here at the bottom Seriously, of the document. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you uh, before we uh, I want to get one well a thought or two on the just the hard, ugly politics of this. But before I uh, hit that, we've just got a few minutes here anyway. Uh, is it is this plan? Uh, at least let's talk about the green parts you referenced. Is it actually achievable? affordable uh is it uh, you know it's being uh, described as you know pie in the sky it's a dream uh is it actually uh, pie in the sky and a dream or is this something that is actually doable and will actually accomplish the goals that are set out by uh by the uh, supporters here well i i find that debate frustrating america is the most powerful wealthiest technologically advanced country in the history of the world america can do anything the hell it wants if it sets its mind to it like can we can we decarbonize all 70 million or however many u.s buildings i mean sort of like definitionally yes if we really wanted to of course we could like we went to the moon we we conquered the world like you know we can we can write genes out like they're books now like of course we can decarbonize buildings the question is not can we the question is always are do we have the wherewithal to organize the effort and funding in the right way to make it happen of course we can it's will we like we can Mm -hmm. decarbonize electricity yeah we can decarbonize transportation yeah i mean we will eventually it's almost inevitable the question is all about Speed. And that's what this document is about, is we've got to get started moving fast. And, and, and I think one of the things that's being said about this document, which I think is actually wrong if you read it closely, you're seeing a lot of people say it's calling for total carbon neutrality within 10 years. And that, just in and of itself, no, is not possible. <laughs> like, no. I mean, even, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe... Like if we thought an asteroid was coming, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't envision a scenario in which that's possible. But I don't think that's actually what the resolution calls for. If you look closely, it says we want to decarbonize electricity, we want to decarbonize transportation, we want to decarbonize all buildings, mm-hmm. and it says in a different section we want a ten-year mobilization. I don't. It doesn't actually say anywhere in the document we are going to target total carbon neutrality within ten years. It doesn't actually put time targets 
on these things, which to me is is fine because all those targets are guesswork anyway, and the only thing we can really control is do we get off our asses and get to work? And that's what the document is calling for, is like get started and then, you know, we'll check in in five years and then we'll have a lot more to say about reasonable targets. But we don't have to settle that before we get started. Just well, get started. Well, you know what? I uh, I, I don't know if uh, Sean Hannity may be reading a, a different document from the one that you're looking at. And, I, you know, I can't tell for sure if Fox News is uh, for or against this plan. So uh, let's see if uh, Hannity here uh, gives us any clue uh, with his thoughts on the Green New Deal, as he described them last night on the uh, right-wing cable news outlet. This is a real serious threat to our way of life. A horrific, frightening, frankly, piece of legislation. One of the most dangerous, impractical, misguided, economically guaranteed to be devastating plans ever championed by any American politician, guaranteed to fail, and the results will be disastrous for the American people, beyond dangerous, beyond scary. (laughs) So I'm not sure how he feels about it. Um, (laughs) Well, the funny funny thing, Brad, is like I can envision that same Hannity rant in response to like in in response to a proposal to slightly increase college loan tax credits. You know what I mean? Like the the full on 100 percent ranting its socialism, red faced BS. That response is automatic to anything so 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 what dems should take from this is not oh oh oh, no there's going to be right-wing backlash of course there is there's right-wing backlash to literally anything you try and it's always maximal it's always pegged in the red so why not given that just be as ambitious as you want to be. You're going to get the same reaction no matter what you do. So just go for it. And you don't even have to imagine it. I suspect that we could go back and find Sean Hannity saying almost oh, exactly yeah. the same thing about, you know, the Affordable Care Act, that it was going to be the or, end. Or, or like light bulb standards. It doesn't, right, really right. doesn't matter. Yep, you're right. So this, uh, very quickly, uh, David, this... Um, Proposal is still remains aspirational and necessarily vague uh, for the time being. So uh, how does even the existence of this proposal, however, uh, proposed by, uh, you know, a newbie progressive like AOC and an old time uh, Democrat like Ed Markey, how do you see very quickly that it changes the game here overall as we move towards 2020 and beyond? uh, Or does it? Well, I think it does. Uh, For one thing, you've already got I think six of the senators who are running in 2020 yep. have already signed on to this. Mm-hmm. So, so what this has done is basically, and this is why I think a lot of the arguments over the fine points and details and exact language is sort of beside the point. It's just a, it's just a resolution. Yep. <laughs> what I think it's done is put these core goals, 100% decarbonization, a focus on public investment and job creation and a focus on justice, environmental justice, it has put those at the core of the democratic climate agenda. So any democratic president, any democratic leader at this point, that's kind of the, that's, that's, that's the ante. Like you have to go that far to get in the conversation. And that, like, it's hard to, it's hard to overstate. That's an incredible shift from even two years ago. Yeah, no, much less. 
five years ago or eight years ago. Yeah, no, uh, totally. I, I don't see how a, a Democratic nominee for president could win at this point without endorsing either this plan or a, a Green New Deal plan in general. And those That's right. uh, six. That's right. Every, every candidate will have something they're calling a Green New Deal. I guarantee it. And yeah. that is, is huge. And uh, the, just to uh, uh, underscore the six senators uh, who have already endorsed this plan, uh, Booker, Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and Amy Klobuchar have all said that they are on board. Uh, David Roberts, uh, well, let me do this before I let you go. Uh, I want to let folks know, do yourself a favor this weekend. Download Chris Hayes's why is this happening podcast his interview with david roberts on the epistemic crisis that this country is now in the midst of uh and if you've ever wondered how we could come to this moment where we elect a donald trump as president of the united states the conversation between these guys between david and chris is by far the smartest take on all of that a, a really smart conversation by two really smart guys and if you don't understand the word epistemic crisis don't worry they will explain that they will explain exactly what epistemology is and how our collective epistemological failures explain uh, so much about what is going on right now it was very clarifying one of the very best podcast discussions i think i have ever heard david so, well, thank you so much. That's very flattering. Uh, it uh, you you deserve it. It was really smart. So listen to him with an actual smart guy over at uh, Why Is This Happening uh, podcast. David Roberts, the uh, climate and energy uh, writer, reporter, journalist, and uh, and genius over at Vox.com. You can read his work there uh, and get all the the little details on this uh, green news uh, green new deal that we now have. Uh, and you can and must follow him on the Twitters at drvox. That's Dr. Vox on the Twitters. David, greatly appreciate you joining us once again today. Talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks a lot, Brad. You bet. Okay, quick break, and we're back with our closing few minutes. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, got just a minute or two here, Desi Doyen. I'm running late. Uh, we were talking over the break. Uh, you feel that um, we may not have adequately noted how important it is for something to happen here, whether it is this Green New Deal or or any other? Yes, that would be uh, <laughs> that would be my assessment. I mean, I think that it is uh, something good to have you guys talk about what's in this specific deal, but yeah. um, it's incredibly important that folks understand the gravity of the situation that we are in, because right now we are headed for a catastrophic temperature rise on our current path, and we only have about 12 years to mobilize and get on the path of reaching half of, cutting half of our emissions by 2030. That is the level 
level that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the scientists there, warned that we really only have about 12 years to really be on track for net zero emissions by 2050 in order to make sure we don't release too much CO2 already into the atmosphere, which will be very difficult to get rid of in time to save future generations and, by the way, ourselves. Well, you know, I didn't want to go into uh, some of those uh, weeds, if you will, because A, you and I cover them a lot, of course, on yes. the Green News Report. And, and, I, and I would time. say that anybody who uh, listens to this show probably yeah. is aware of the gravity of the situation. I hope so. They should be. But uh, because I think what's important here is how this has injected this entire conversation into the 2020 presidential uh, yes. campaign already. It cannot be avoided any longer. And, uh, you know, we saw the media getting away uh, in cycle after cycle without asking candidates about this issue at all. Oh, I think yeah. that's going to be very hard to do now. Oh, I think I agree. I think it's now been injected. It's now been put into the media. Fox News is talking about it more than they ever have. And so yes. is the corporate media that's supposed to have been talking about this. So, yep. yeah, those are all good signs. That's all. Yeah. And it serves uh, to reveal, I think, in the meantime, over the next two years, uh, these right wing clowns and yes. just how ridiculous their arguments are. So, uh, boy, AOC is shaking things up. She uh, she's really good on Twitter, and she's really good in Congress. Uh, maybe we'll play uh, in the coming days uh, some of her uh, appearances at these hearings where she's also killing it as well, really. All right, we got to get out, though. Uh, my thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to my guest today, David Roberts of Vox.com, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or want to share it with anyone you know, you can always download it for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. You, uh, my thanks also to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. We survive only because of listeners like you who help us stay on your public airwaves. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, happy birthday, Dad. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh,